On today's night's podcast, Headmaster Robbie Hinton will outline his vision to pursue more for our students and not be complacent with what we've done well in the past. I want to thank y'all for coming tonight. I want to thank Cameron for that uh, great introduction. And Jackson, thank you very much. Uh, you know, we all sit back and we think about our own children. And, and um, you know, you remember that day when they were five years old and you dropped them off at school? And you're thinking, what's going to happen to them in this place? And I always tell people, the first, if you want to know, the first thing you can do is go look at our seniors. And uh, you can say, that's a good indication. This is what happens to kids when they hang around here for 13 years. And I'd be glad for anybody to come and look at our senior class. And Jackson is a great representation of that. Well, I don't know what you were expecting tonight when you came. Uh, I know that you were expecting maybe some uh, glimpses at a few pictures that we have and some ideas of looking at some buildings that we are planning to build. And hopefully you were looking to, for some big ideas. Because here's where I am with this. You need to understand, I'm a planner. I love to develop a plan. I love to get it to where I think it's actionable. And so in my mind, we have a plan. We have a plan that goes from where we are to, in my mind, that building is already built. And that we're going to, I can already feel it. Us walking into a beautiful new gym, a beautiful new auditorium, and a beautiful redesigned student center for our students. I can feel it not because it's just a beautiful drawing that we have created here, and I think it's functional. Functional, and I, I suspect it'll change once architects step in and start arguing with builders and engineers and all those things. It'll develop just a little bit and change. Uh, but the beautiful, it, so it's not just the beautiful picture that's there. I can see it because I think we have the capacity to build that building. I, have the, I believe we have the capacity to do something extraordinary. And so what I want to talk to you tonight is about that plan and how we get from where we are today to where we think God wants us to be in five years is very simple. We have to decide that we're going to pursue more and then we have to decide to get out of the way. So, Jesus will, so students will see Christ and not us. Now, let's talk about this for a second. I remember uh, about 17 years ago when I was first, uh, I first started as a classical educator at a little school, Regent School of Oxford. And I'd been there about this long, about seven months, and somebody, you know, sitting around thinking about uh, um, what it was like to be an educator. And, I, and the first thing, the only thing I could imagine was, I think parents, I'm just going to be honest with you, I thought they were crazy. I mean, one day they would walk into my office and they'd be filled with pride. They'd look at me and say, my child, they, they, after being in this school, I, I think they can do anything. It's amazing. And then the next day they'd walk in and they'd be like, I, I don't think they'll ever be able to read. I don't think they'll ever be able to act right. I, I don't see any hope in them. It was this pendulum of pride to fear, to anger. You, you ever looked at my child? What are we going to ever do with this thing? To, to joy. What a wonderful, sweet child this is. Why doesn't everybody see how sweet my child is? It is? And it was watching that pendulum swing, and then after a while I'd watch it, and I would think, these people are crazy. And then God gave me this wonderful gift of three kids that started growing up. And then I started realizing how my emotions were swinging. And I'd look at my children one day, and you think, these guys are incredible. They're just like me. And then I would say, and then some days, they're just like their mom. And then, you know, this is this pendulum. No, it's just the opposite. But this is this thing, is this, 
you get this pendulum of, hey, what a wonderful thing these children are, to all of a sudden it's, are they ever going to be able to walk? Will they ever do anything? Will they ever show any intelligence? Where's this all going to end? And as I started thinking about it, so obviously at that point I realized parents couldn't be crazy because I knew I wasn't crazy. And started digging back into theology from seminary days and I kind of stumbled upon something that I think I'd forgotten. And it was this idea that I realized deep in my soul I had the DNA of Adam. And see, I, I, I realized I was meant to live in Eden. And since I was meant to live in Eden, I was meant to have, well, perfect kids. And my soul knew this, even though maybe my mind said, yeah, they're fallen and we're in a fallen world. But my soul said, no, 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 no. The kids you're supposed to have are made in the image of God. Therefore, they should look like God. And therefore, you know, sometimes you look at it and go, I guess I got the wrong kids. <laughs> because I was supposed to have perfect kids. I joke with my kids about this and they say, you know, we were supposed to have a perfect daddy. I think we got the wrong daddy. But, but it is this idea. And, and what I'm saying for this, is what I want you to see is those pendulum swings you're feeling for your child of pride to frustration to joy to sadness. All of that is not you going crazy. It's you looking at your child and saying, hey, look, this child was mysteriously and wonderfully made. This child was made to look like God. I have every right to expect more for them from my school I have every right to expect more from them themselves. You have every right to look at them and say, hey, look, you were mysteriously and wonderfully made. So yes, you're going to be prone to error. And yes, you're going to make mistakes. But listen to me. You are also capable of glory. And let's figure out how to reveal that in everything we do. Now, what do we do with that? Our children were made to show us more. How do we pursue that more? Well, over the years, I've watched parents and tried to learn from them as I'd watch them pursue more, and I'd listen to their questions. Some would come in, and they're saying, I'm pursuing an elite and a highly select college for my child. And I would think that was a great pursuit, but something doesn't feel quite right about that. Some would say, they'd come in and they'd say, you know, I'm pursuing my for my child. What I really want for my child is I want to see them do really well in sports. I'd say, that's not a bad thing to want. That's a good thing to want. That's a good thing to pursue. Some would say, you know, the high academics, the high athletics. I just want my child to be very well-rounded. That sounds good, too. Let's pursue that. And then some would say, they come in and say, I want my child to be pure when they get married. I want to see my child to make good decisions around drugs and alcohol, to avoid those things. I want to see my child make good friends. And I look at it and say, all oh, those are great things, but something didn't feel right. Every time I hear those questions, I go, those are the right things, but it's missing something. And finally, what I realized is, is what they were asking for were good things in particular, but what they were missing is, is I wanted to give them so much more. And I realized that at every classical school I've been at, and I can say that for here with confidence, we have a so much more than any of those particular things that we can give to you. And what I would tell you is, while none of those particular things that I just said were bad, actually they were good, as long as you remember the ultimate thing that we're trying to provide for you. None of those particular things are bad as long as you remember the ultimate thing we are trying to offer to you and to your child. Cary Christian School exists for a simple purpose. 
We to offer your child to provide for you a classic, a great classic, excellent classical education founded upon a biblical worldview. We do that for one simple reason. It's because we think it is an effective and efficient way to point your child toward Christ and to prepare them to flourish through Him in the modern world. That's the more we offer at this school. We want you to see, we want your child to find Christ and we want them to learn how to flourish through Christ in this world. Now, how do we, what does that mean? I'd encourage you when you go home tonight to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It, you know, Paul, he's going in and the whole point of Corinthians is, you know, in the first book of Corinthians, he's rebuking the Corinthians in a very nice way. And in the second book, he's like, hey, look, I was nice last time, now I'm mad. You know, so you can see how he escalates from being somewhat, hey, a nice rebuke to strong rebuke. Well, he's still in the nice rebuke in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he looks at him and he says this to them. He's saying, why have you been led astray by these false prophets? Why have you been taken in all these different directions? Well, he says, it's real simple why you've been led astray. It's because you're acting like you're merely human. Now, my wife and I were reading that the other morning, and I thought about that. What's he mean? They're, they are merely human. And Paul says, no, you're not. Because you, if you had been eating upon solid food, you would have now, by now, have developed the mind of Christ. You've only been led astray because you think you're merely human. Your child was mysteriously and wonderfully made. Yes, they are a sinner, and yes, they are prone to err, but they are also capable of glory. And if they find Christ, they will find all of that capacity to reveal that glory that is inside of them, and they will flourish in this world <laughs> and in any place God places them. So how is it we take children so they can find Christ, and how do we prepare them to flourish? Well, here's what we do at Cary Christian School. And here's three things the school has always done very well. One of the things this school does extraordinarily well is it teaches kids the truth. Other schools, you may be surprised by this, uh, don't teach the truth anymore. Now, I, I imagine when the founders started the school, they said, hey, we're going to teach them biblical truth because no one teaches that. And yes, we did teach biblical truth, and we do a great job of that. Uh, but actually, we teach historical truth. We teach truth about, from literature, and so they learn the facts of, different, of the great stories of literature. We, we, we learn uh, mathematical truth. We learn the truth of all the subjects that are given to kids. You need to understand, few schools are teaching kids the truth about the world, and this school has done an extraordinary job of that. Uh, secondly, what this school has done is they have, they have cultivated inside of students certain tools. They have taught them how to write and to write well. They've taught them how to think they taught them how to communicate. They taught them how to take an idea that is inside their head, form it into a great proposition, and convey it to a friend so that the friend understands that and knows what they're saying is true and is reasonable. That's what this school has done very well. Not only has it taught kids truth, kids truth, not only has it taught children how to think and how to reason and how to write well and how to and the skills of the lost tools of learning, as we like to say. Uh, it's, taught, it's put them in a place of morality. It's put them in a place that's safe, and that's beautiful. Think back 25 years ago what the founders were thinking. We all, some of us remember 25 years ago very well. I remember when we were starting a classical school in Jackson, Tennessee, 
we were all going, yeah, you know, the public school, it's not really that bad. They're just, you know, they just don't teach them truth. Um, in the local private schools around here, they're not that bad. They just don't teach the truth of Christ. We want a school that's not neutral about those things. That was then. Now, the things that we're being taught in schools uh, outside these doors is shocking. Not only are our values that we would inculcate here and seek to surround our students in, not only are they dismissed by others, the debauchery that we would stand opposed to would be celebrated. So if I would say right now, if I looked at you and said, these are the three things we do well and I think we will always do well, um, it is that we teach kids truth, we teach kids skills, we put them in a safe place, morally sound place. I would say those three things are enough. But we think we can do more. We think we can do a whole lot more. Here's the three things we're going to be working on for the next five years that we want to drive through every area of the school. The first of those is we want to teach our students, we want to inculcate a sense of strength in them and a sense of freedom that is founded upon goodness. Now, what's that mean? Well, when you think about Christ, think about who He was. Every time He walked in a room, He had three reactions. First, most people looked at Christ and went, this doesn't make any sense. He wasn't what they expected. And they were shocked and they were curious and they wanted to figure Him out. Some were angry. They were mad. And every time Jesus would walk in the room, there was a group of people that were furious with everything He said and everything He did. And then eventually they wanted Him killed. And then there was another group over here that looked at what Christ and what He did and heard what He said. And in their response, what they would say to Jesus was, is they would, they would come flocking to Him and they would weep at His feet and they would beg Him for mercy. The, two, the people that were angry were the Pharisees and they were the self-righteous. The people that fell in love with Him were the broken and the downtrodden. Jesus simply walked in a room and displayed His goodness. And that goodness made some people angry and it made some people weep. Jesus attracted pagans and they would come flocking to Him. Not because He would appease them and get down on their level and act like them, but because they saw in Him an authentic goodness. And it was so authentic and it was so pure and they saw that the goodness that He was bringing to them was so beautiful. They knew it was what they needed and they came for it. Others looked at it and said, no, 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 no. That doesn't look like goodness to me. Why was it not good? Well, what they would say was, is because you're not, we have certain regulations we placed upon goodness. And that's just to make sure everybody sees us as separate from the non-Christians. We don't hang out with prostitutes. We don't let prostitutes weep and cry at our feet. We don't stand in the marketplace next to women and tell them the gospel. We, we don't eat with tax collectors and act like they're our friends. Why? Because we don't want to be falsely associated with them. They were upset because what they wanted to offer people was the picture of goodness an outward appearance of goodness. And they were angry because He brought, brought, walked in with a real thing, with a real and true goodness. It is our job at this school to point kids to goodness. Not to the, a false picture of it, but to the real thing. 
How do we do that? Well, I think we do that in all our subjects. When we teach them, we, we directly teach them goodness as we teach them Scripture. We develop their moral imagination as we tell them stories. And as those stories build up into their imagination, they learn how to think around God's law. They learn how to even dream, hopefully, in God's law. And so in all of our subjects, we're pointing them towards goodness, but we're doing it in a way, and this is the point you have to grasp. We have to make sure we're doing it not the way Odysseus avoided evil, but the way Jason did. Here's what I mean by that. Most of us have heard the story of Odysseus. Odysseus and Jason both knew that they had to get past uh, these, these horrible creatures called the sirens. And the sirens were going to sing a song and in past history, no man ever made it past them. Because when they would start singing, the ship, the sailors would then sail towards the song as they were seduced by it, and they would sail into the rocks and it would destroy them. So Odysseus, knowing he was going past these sirens, came up with a plan. He said, what I will do is I will put, ear, I'll put wax in the ears of my men, and I will have them lash me to the mast. So they can't hear the song, and I can't respond to the song. And that worked, and they made it past. And then there was Jason. Jason said, we need no wax, and I need no lashing. I need Orpheus. And he brought along Orpheus, who was a beautiful singer. And every time his men were tired, he would tell Orpheus to sing a song. And every time his men were happy, he'd say, Orpheus, sing us a song. And over time, they became used to the beautiful and the good song that Orpheus sang. And then when they came past the sirens and the sirens started singing, the sirens, the men would hear their song and they might be intrigued by it. And Jason looked at Orpheus and said, now sing. And Orpheus would sing his song of goodness, his beautiful song. And the men said, that song is ugly. That song that destroys us is ugly. This song is good. Here's what we're trying to do with your children. We're trying to teach them, point them towards goodness so they'll walk in a way that is good. It'll become, it'll become first, maybe just a pattern of behavior where they're, they're somewhat acting good. And then slowly they'll learn, hopefully to see that this goodness is actually makes life better. If for no other reason, it keeps me out of trouble. And then they'll start saying, hey, people actually deep down like good people better than they like, than, than they don't like, because they trust good people. And they realize, I like people when they're good towards me. And then slowly what they realize is as they keep walking inside of goodness, they realize these laws that God gave to us, th these aren't destructive forces, these are freeing forces. These are forces that not only they don't enslave me and hold me back from my desires. They teach me what I should desire. And then what I hope over time is they see that goodness is something beautiful. Is something beautiful. And they start holding on to goodness for themselves, not as something that we're placing upon them, but as something they long for. And what I hope is it becomes is like in life, they're not dancing around goodness, but they're dancing with goodness. And if they dance with it long enough, they'll discover something beautiful. They're not really dancing with a thing they might call good. They're dancing with a being they would call good. And they wake up and they realize all along they have found something that is truly good, and that is God Himself. You see, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to be very clear. Let me say this to you. I've raised three kids. 
And I get really nervous when somebody would say to me that my kids were good little boys and sweet little girls. Sweet little girls. I never understood what they meant by that. First of all, have you met my daughter? <laughs> have you met them? There's nothing sweet about them and I didn't raise them to be sweet. And I know they were trying to say something nice, but I was saying you should be terrified. Not because there's something bad in them. Yes, there is. But because there is a strength, I hope, in them there is a genuine goodness in them that will terrify the self-righteous and will comfort the broken. I hope that our children dance with God and they are attracted to His goodness. I hope they find it and find it to be beautiful. And I hope they are ready to take that goodness into the uttermost parts of the world. Secondly, what are we going to do and what do I think we ought to work on to go to the next level? I think it's a spirit of innovation. I think the school's done a great job of teaching kids the truth. They've inculcated wisdom. I think we've done a great job of inculcating grit and teaching them how to work hard. And now the next level of what I'd like to see us do is, is not where they just know all the right answers, but I'd like them to be in a place where they know the right questions. And when they leave here, I don't want them saying, I have the right answers. But they're saying, bring me on some big, complicated, hard problem. I know how to solve it. Now, when I say a spirit of innovation, that may scare some of you. And the word scares me just a little bit too. But I want you to hear that we're not talking about um, what Jim Dickman would call, we don't want our kids to be open loop. Now, open loop, if you haven't heard that, is an old IBM joke. I think when Jim would have worked with IBM and back in the day, and they would sit around and he said, that guy's open loop, that would have been a great insult. And you would have went, yeah. Or, no, he's a good guy. But that would have been the greatest insult if you were an IBMer, to be called open loop. And that meant this is a person who has a lot of great ideas. They have a lot of things they want to do, but none of them are either practical or reasonable. None of them would be helpful. They just want to do things that are different than everybody else. The innovative spirit we're wanting is the idea of what, well, some businessmen I ran into several years ago said to me, they looked at me and said, hey, look, I can't find 24-year-olds that are worth hiring. And I said, well, what's wrong with the 24-year-olds? And they said, none of them are curious and none of them are creative. If I don't tell them exactly what to do and when to do it, nothing will ever get done. And I said, well, I have some four-year-olds over here at our school they're filled with curiosity and creativity. Now, after that lunch, I went around and I was thinking about that. That's a problem. Almost every five-year-old you meet has creativity and curiosity. How many 24-year-olds have that? You meet little children. They're filled with wonder. They want to learn. Maybe not the things we're teaching in school. But they want to learn. They want to know. You meet people who are 24. There's no curiosity, no creativity left. Why not? What do they have in common? They've been to school. School has a way of systematically killing a child's curiosity and creativity. It has a way of taking away the heart of a child, their sense of wonder. The first thing I said to the deans when we all sat down for lunch on June 1st, 
as I said to them, what would you like us to, me to fix? And they all listed a bunch of things. And they're all good things that we might need to work on and that we are working on. But I said to them, this is the only thing I'm interested. Protect their wonder. When a child walks into first grade, he will have wonder. When he walks into second grade, does he still have it or is it gone? We asked the teachers when we started school this year, I said, are you going to let a child lose his sense of wonder on your watch? You're going to teach them a lot of things and a lot of truths, but are you going to do it in a way that stirs up wonder or destroys wonder? Are you going to wear them out and frustrate them? Or are you going to stir up their sense of wonder? Now, you understand, here's how we do this. It's not real easy, but here's what it's going to take. We're going to have to totally tear apart school and go in a totally different direction. You know what happened? When the founders of the school got started, or the founders of every classical school, they understood one thing to be true. And as a founder of a school, I can tell you this is probably the only thing I knew to be true is I knew that the school I went to was a failed experiment. It did not work. I knew that the schools that were being offered, not just public, but public and private around there, that, that you just would hope your child would come out of there not being worse than they were the day they went in. School was a failed experiment. And the classical school model was created by a bunch of people that said, give us something different. And they found that different in this ancient 2,000-year-old model of classical education and said, okay, that's different. We'll go there. But what they realized is, is when they were leaving beyond this modern experiment of education, which, by the way, every reasonable person is leaving behind. They're not necessarily choosing classical education, but they know this experiment didn't work. And here's why it didn't work. It was created by a group of men who had one, one issue they were trying to accomplish. They knew that the factory owners couldn't get enough people to work in their factories. Lo and behold, men would get off ships and women would get off ships and they'd sailed across the world trying to get to land over there where they'd come to America in the 1880s. And they're saying, I'm going to be a free person. I'm going to go west. I'm going to do big things. I'm going to do great things. I came over here. And the factory worker would offer them a job in these factories on the East Coast. They'd go in and work for a few days and go, I'm not doing this. This is for animals. This is not for human beings. This is for people who don't want to think. This is for people who don't want to do anything creative. They have no curiosity. People who can just sit all day long doing the same monotonous task. They had a problem. They couldn't get people to work in factories. And this is a historical fact. So they started a school and they said, we'll make people who will do as they're told. We'll make people who are no longer curious. They just, they'll basically, they'll know how to read. They'll know how to write. They'll know how to show up on time. They'll know how to sit in their desk till they're told to stand up. And then when it's time to sit back down, they'll sit back down again. And it was a task where they said, and you know, it was Gringott, uh, one of Charles Dickens' characters, as he looks at a little girl and he says to her, it's the facts, ma'am, it's the facts. That's all there is, is the facts. We teach you the facts. And we drive into you the facts. We, we break your will so that when you get out of school, you're ready to be, do, to be told what to do for the rest of your life. And we're surprised. We've taken away all their heart and their soul 
And we're, fr- we're surprised when they walk out without any curiosity and any creativity. We have to totally move away from school. And we have to figure out how to get back to skole, the Greek concept that was also the word for leisure. It was, a, it was a, a program that the Greeks had designed that was in tune with the heart and the soul of a child. It, it, it knew how to take a child and turn them into a human being. It is, as uh, one of our teachers told Jackson, it humanized them. It didn't mechanize them. Well, we have a great offering we can offer to our kids. We're not just humanizing them. We're offering them the mind of Christ. We're turning them into something that is more human. And then we're saying, don't be merely human. Imitate Christ. So when we talk about this idea that we want a spirit of innovation, we want our children to walk out of here not as know-it-alls. We don't want them to walk out of here as if they're smarter than the rest of the world. We want them to walk out of here more curious, more creative. We want them to say, bring me a hard problem and I will solve it. And we want them to be ready to know the right questions to ask to solve that problem. Finally and thirdly, I would say this. What are we trying to do? We're trying to to prepare our students so that they are ready to execute. What's it mean to be ready uh, to execute in the modern world? What's it mean that a child uh, is ready to move forward? Well, Well, I think to get that, you have to realize what we've done very well. A classical school is built around teaching kids how to think theoretically about things. We're an idea school. We focus skills. And that's what I love about classical education. Um, But we're not doing that in a way that prepares them for an ivory tower. We're doing that in a way, hopefully, that uh, ties them to the earth so that they're ready to do the right thing and they're capable of doing the right thing. This is one of the things we want to get better at. We want to get them to, to tie them down to the earth so that the theoretical ideas that they're hearing become more practical so that they walk into the, to college, they walk into an office place. They're, they're ready to learn. They're ready to figure out and take on any task that may be offered them to do. So one of the things that we want to add is more, you know, we, we, teach like an, we teach an engineering one class. We want to do a better job of that. We want to offer more engineering classes. We teach our students a lot about government, But now we want to add in some electives uh, and require kids to take it, which isn't really a great elective, but uh, on government and and on economics. We want to teach them more about technology and computers, not by backing off the theoretical. We will always be a school that focuses primarily on developing the habits of the mind in a way that shapes the habits of the soul. But we also want to do that in a way that when they walk out of here, they walk out of here ready. Here's what I think that looks like. Tim Keller tells a story of a man uh, or a lady who came to his church. And afterwards he asked her, why was she here? Because she said she was not a believer. And she said, it's my boss. She says, he's the best boss in the world. He's really good at what he does. But the other day I made a mistake. And when I made this mistake, I went to him thinking I was about to get fired. And he looked at me and he said, you know, if I go to my boss and I say you did this, He will demand that I fire you. But he really likes me, so I'm going to go and I'm going to own this and take it on myself. And she said, why in the world are you doing that? 
And he said, because that's the right thing to do. And she says, no one does that. And he said, well, Christians do. And she said, well, where did you learn this? And he pointed her to Redeemer. You see what I'm saying? We want our graduates not being the people who walk out of here who have the appearance of goodness, but to have the genuine, authentic article. And, and they're, not just, they're not just spiritually good people, but they're also competent people. They're ready to impact the world and to make a difference. Not just because they're curious and creative and not just because they have practical skills, but also because they know how to love their brother and their sister as they love themselves. This is the school we want to create. We want to create a school that creates strength. We want freedom. We want a school that creates students who are innovative. We want a school that creates students who walk out of here ready to execute. Now, I said this to a group of moms the other day, and they looked at me and said, how in the world are you ever going to do that? And one of them, she actually said something like, I don't think that's going to happen. And, and I thought, well, that was offensive. But, but, here's, the, but here's the thing. Is, is I have one gift, and that is simply this, is that I'm a very stubborn person. And the sort of sense is, is once I decide we're going to do something, we're going to do it. And I remember on June 1st when I met the, with the deans, I looked at them and said, this is where we are. These are the three things we're going to get to. Will you go with me? And I found out in that moment I had something else than just stubbornness. I had some men around me. I had some men around me who were ready to walk in the same direction. And we talked about how we were going to walk in this direction. And basically, over an hour lunch, what we said is, what it's going to be is this, is we're going to get out of the way. So this isn't a story about us. This is a story about Christ. We're going to point kids toward Christ, and we're going to point them to flourish in, through Christ in the modern world. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this together. But we're going to do this because it's not going to be a story about who we are. We're going to get out of the way so that we're not merely human beings walking into this school, showing them and teaching these kids. We want, some, we want something more than humans walking into this building. We want Christ walking into this building. And when they see us, we want them to see through us to see Christ. Took that, met with um, Lamia and Erica and Margaret, and said, here's where we need to go. Will you go with me? And then we started meeting with the teachers and said, this is where we're going to go. Started listening to them, started listening to a group of parents all summer long, as Cameron said. Started hearing where we are, starting to figure out, wow, uh, this is uh, a lot of people are wanting to go in a lot of different directions. Um, can I ever get them to go in the direction I think we need to go in? And so instead of starting with all the parents, I said, let's uh, get a group of parents together. And so I asked Erica, pick out a group of moms and let me meet with them. Let's see if we can get them to go in the same direction with us. We sat down with the teachers and said, will y'all go in the same direction with us? We met with the board and said, will you go in the same direction with us? And what we realized, we got that group going in the same direction. And it's a small group and a small portion of the school, but, we're but it's a group that I believe is committed in saying, hey, we'll walk and we'll do this together. Now, here's what this school is like. Here's the problem what's holding the school back. It's a lot of frenetic energy. There's a lot of people in this school who love this school. But here's what they don't love. They're not necessarily, we're not all interested in walking together in the same direction. We have good ideas and we want to get those good ideas done. But we're not sure we all want to commit to the same good ideas. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do, is to walk with me. 
Let's all, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to get out of the way. This is what we asked the teachers to do in August, to walk into class tomorrow and be ready to die to self, to die to your own self-interest so that you can show the children Christ. I taught them there's this little way that I've learned to do this, to remind myself of this, is anytime I walk into a meeting, so if we're going into a meeting, you know I've probably done this right before we've met, and I look at and I would say to myself, I pray, God, die, help me to die to self so that I can live for you. And a lot of times when I have a lot of meetings and I prayed that prayer several times, and maybe if some of them are tough meetings, maybe if I'm about to meet with Cameron or somebody like that, and then I would look at myself and I finally saw myself not praying the whole prayer, I'd just say, God, just kill me now. And, and um, but, but you know, this is the thing, is that what we're looking at is if we're all willing to die to self and push self out of the way so that we might reveal Christ to a group of children, then we will show them Christ. And they will see Christ in us, and we will be ready to teach them how to flourish through Christ in the modern world. Now, what I want you to do is here in a few minutes, you're going to receive an email if technology works. And it's going to be a link to a web page. And on that web page, you're going to see a lot of the plans that, it, not right now, don't check your email, but you're going to see a link to some plans and, and, um, of how we plan to move forward. And then what you're going to see on there is a schedule. And it's a schedule of how we're going to be putting out more information. All the information that the groups that I've been working with for the last six months have been developing together. Been taking these plans to them, listening to them, driving down some more ideas, developing more ideas. You're going to hear about our teacher development plan. And then in January, you're going to hear about our student development plan. And then in March, we're going to start talking about our parent development plan. And then in April and May, you're going to hear about how we're working on curriculum and where that's going. And then in June and July, you're going to see how we're working on athletics and where our athletics program is going to. And then next year, about this time, we're going to talk to you about how the building is already built. To take this school to the next level, we've got to create a teacher development plan. We've got to help and we've got to get together with our teachers and we've got to take time to meet with them so that they can, we can figure out how we go from where we are to where we need to be. We've got to figure out how do we create this extraordinary outcome for our kids. We've got to figure out how do we all get on the same page? How do we develop our personal skills? How do we work better as a community? We have to develop our teachers and we, with the teachers, have developed a plan. I think it's a beautiful plan. The objectives are beautiful, the curriculum is beautiful, the whole thing is beautiful, and when you see it, I think it even has nice colors to it and nice font to it. It's a great plan, but it won't work. Because, this, you may not know this, but our upper school teachers do not have a, a planning period. So what this means is, is they teach two classes three times a day, which means they teach for six hours. And then, it is my expectation, that they will spend at least two hours grading papers and getting ready for the next day for each of those classes. Six plus two plus two is 10. Now, a lot of us work 10 hours a day, but am I then gonna go back to them and say, now I need a little more time for you to learn, to develop, to help me develop curriculum, push us and to go further? Uh, that'd be a lot to ask. That's why every school in the country that you'll ever go to offers their upper school teachers a planning period, and it's time we did too. If you've ever been curious why your tuition is so low, thank your teachers. This school asks a lot of our teachers. And what I would like to 
give to them is a simple thing, a planning period. So, And then I'm going to take up that planning period by saying we're going to use it to develop you. How do we do that? I need to hire four teachers. And to hire four teachers is going to cost us roughly around $200,000. That also would help you to realize we probably don't pay our teachers a whole lot either. But it works, and uh, we can get good teachers for $200,000. So I need your help in that. We already have uh, several families help us with that. We're well on our way to getting that money raised. Um, but we need to finish it up. I've got two months. The board said if I can bring in either the cash or commitments that will be in by May of this, or excuse me, June of this year, they will release the plan and let us hire the teachers. So I need $200,000 in cash, or I need you to send me an email saying, this is how much I'm in for. It'll be there by the end of, by the end of June. Is that clear enough? Some said, are you going to ask us for something? I just did. I need your help. And then thirdly, what I need you to do is go out and tell your friends about this school. One of the things I've been surprised by is about half the people that show up on our tours right now, and we're not getting enough people on our tours, are people that are coming off our web pages and our advertisements. And that's good. I'm glad they see what we're doing. I'm glad they're attracted to it. And I'm glad they walk in off that. But that's not how schools work. A school should have 90% referrals. A healthy school is, is growing because the people in a school are telling their friends about the school and everybody then hears them say it and they come. Listen to me. This is a great school. I, I came, not because of where I believe the school will be, though I'm excited about that, but because of where the school is. Tell your friends about this school. Bring them to it. Say, come see the difference. Come see who Carrie Christian School is. I don't care what you've heard. Come take a look. We get to school firing on all cylinders. We all start pushing in the same direction. This time next year, I hope to come to you. This is my goal is to say we've already raised about half the money we need to raise for that building to be raised. And I believe that is quite feasible. I have no doubt. The board and I are working right now on a plan to, to, to fund the, the building that I think is reasonable. I think it's more than reasonable. I think we are in a tenable place to build that building. We are not going to increase tuition significantly. I think it is what we're going to be asking of you to donate is, is inside of your capacity if we all start pushing in the same direction. We increase the outcome. We increase the value of the school. We start predictably and consistently offering kids an extraordinary outcome where they walk out of here good, strong, free, innovative, and prepared to execute. If we look at it and say, that's the school, we will raise more than enough money, not only to build that building, 